0: Good morning, everybody. This morning, we're continuing this series called Jesus Centered, which is uh, focusing on what it looks like to have a life that is, well, centered around Jesus. It's based on a book by Steve Brown, uh, who is the president of Arrow Leadership, uh, an organization that I'm very fond of and I think is a great place. And uh, this book is divided into three sections. The first section is what it means to be led by Jesus, which we kind of talked about some of those principles last week. The idea of following him, abiding in Him, and knowing that we are loved by Him. And the second part of the book is kind of what we're adapting into or inspired by for the next few messages. And looking at what it means to be like Him and how we live. And so in looking at how we live our lives and what we do, how we act, how we choose to interact with people, Can we reflect on it and say, I act and I live and I lead like Jesus, or am I doing my own thing? And one of the questions that a lot of us have is basically like, what is the path that we're on in life? Uh, Many of us at various points in time, whether it's, you know, you're going through school, trying to figure something out. Maybe what your career path will be, or even if school is your thing. Or maybe you're trying to figure out career changes, or maybe you're trying to figure out family life or relationships you often can get to a point where at least, well, I could have and have, where you wonder, am I on the right path? Am I doing the right things? Am I making the right choices? And sometimes what we use to make that decision to say, yes, I am, or no, I'm not, uh, can be very fluid. We can decide, well, this is what I feel like right now, or this is what seems good, or this is what so-and-so says. But maybe there needs to be more of a centering around what does God say about it. And The book of Romans, the Apostle Paul writes to his church in Rome, and he says this to them in chapter 12. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For Paul, and I think for us if we're trying to follow Jesus, there's an understanding that we need to have our thinking changed. We need to have our mind centered around who Jesus is. And we need to think more and more like him for us to understand what path we're on and if it's the right one. Paul says to know his will, so what God wants for you in your life, you do that by being transformed in your thinking. So what does that look like? What does it mean to think more like Jesus? That's what we're going to look at today. Before we get into some of the the passage I really want to focus on, let's just take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you invite us into this space for those of us who are here in person or those of us who are at home watching Sunday morning or any other time. And you invite us into a space where you are present, that you are with us. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can know that you are with us and you are guiding us in our life. I pray this morning that as we are here, as we are present whether it's in person, in the church, or at home, we are attentive and open to you, Holy Spirit. Attentive and open to what you may have to say to us through Scripture about what it means to think more like Jesus and how we can do that in our daily lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm somebody who likes to think a lot. I can actually get quite lost in my thoughts. As someone who's more introverted, uh, I'm not somebody who's going to tell you all the things I'm thinking. And one of the things that I've realized over time, and especially working here, is that nobody knows what's actually going on in my brain. And then I'll say something, and I'll think, hey, you should know how I got to this conclusion, because I've been thinking about it for a week, but I just share the conclusion. And so my thinking might be right, but it doesn't really help people to come along. And so sometimes we need to break down the process of how we, or me, thinks, and how we get to a conclusion. Each of us has different things going on in our lives and different things that we're thinking about, different things we're experiencing. And so we probably are drawing conclusions or making assumptions or deciding on directions in our life based on where our thoughts are going at any moment. But where are our thoughts coming from? What is influencing how you think? I think that's something that we don't reflect on enough. I think we don't reflect on enough that we are influenced. Whether it's by each other, or coming to church, or what we watch on TV, or what podcasts we listen to, or the radio that we listen to, or the news that we watch, or the music that we listen to. We're influenced. And the messages and tone and focus that comes from those things can be adapted and adopted in our lives and influence our thinking. Because our focus goes on to those things, and how we focus directs our thinking. So how do we, if we want to, be following Jesus, if we want to be committed to a life that is Jesus-centered, How do we think more like Jesus? I think the Apostle Paul answers this question in multiple places. One of the things he says later on in that verse, in that chapter of Romans 12, he says to take your thoughts captive. So to ponder them, to to hold them, and not let them drive you, depending on how you feel or what you're thinking in the moment. But how do we get to thinking, I think, is more important. And so the Apostle Paul wrote something to the church in Philippi that I really love. It's something that it speaks to me. It's something I have to remind myself constantly of. It's something I have to make sure because my natural trajectory isn't to do what it says. I have to make sure that I'm trying to follow this because my natural inclination is to sometimes do the exact opposite. I have to go, wait, what does he say here? So Paul wrote this letter to this church in Philippi while he was in prison in Rome. It's one of the first times he's in prison. And at that point of his imprisonment, uh, it, it wasn't so bad. It was kind of like minimum security prison. So he could have visitors. It was kind of like he was locked into a room. And it was less threatening than his later imprisonment, which, well, led to his death. But at this point in time, he's writing this church in Philippi this letter. And as he's writing them, one of the constant themes that comes up in this letter is the idea of choosing to rejoice or celebrate, choosing to embrace joy in your life, in spite of your circumstances. And as we run through the letter, and I'd encourage you to take some time to read it because there's some great insights to life in there and also who Jesus is. As we get through the letter, we get to a place in chapter four that he's writing to this church and he talks about two women who are fighting in their church. And he addresses those women directly and says, basically, stop your fighting. And then he goes into this. In Chapter 4, starting in verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, as I believe, he's directing his message directly to this church and what's going on in their circumstances, and so there's some infighting. He's trying to remind them of this, but he's also trying to remind us of this. That we are to rejoice in God always, no matter what the circumstances are. Rejoice is like celebrating. We are to celebrate God always. And then our gentleness is to be evident to all. If you've ever been in a fight with someone, not like a fist fight. Hopefully you've never done that either. But if you've ever been in like a verbal disagreement with someone, maybe it's somebody you're married to. Maybe it's somebody you've been in a relationship with. Maybe it's somebody you're related to. Sometimes they're really serious. Like sometimes there's a a good reason to be fighting. More often than not, that's not true. More often than not, it's something has gotten your focus, and you've made it a priority, and you won't budge on it. Again, there are good reasons to be fighting, there are good things to be like, hey, I'm going to stand up for this. But I'll at least say, especially in church, more often than not, there's something that's gotten our focus, and that's become a priority for us, and it's consumed our thinking, and then we disagree on it, and then we fight. This seems to be the case in this church that these quarreling people are engaging in. They've focused on the wrong thing. And so Paul tries to redirect their focus and says, celebrate God always. Let your gentleness be evident to all. So your focus is on God, and you celebrate him, rejoice in him, and your outcome is gentleness. And he continues, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. First, he's dealing with quarreling people, and now he's talking about the internal struggle. That anxiety that we sometimes feel. If you're a human, there's a good chance you've been anxious at some point. For some of us, it's more severe. Some of us, we need extra help to deal with our anxiety. Maybe it's counseling or medication or help in some kind of way. For some of us, it's just depending on our situation and our circumstances. Where things aren't going well, which if anybody watches the news, you probably feel it. You hear about wars in Europe. You hear about inflation, you go to a gas station and you have to make sure you have enough money to pay for a tank of gas. You go to a grocery store and you wonder why lettuce costs $8. There are so many things that grab our focus that are wrong. These things are wrong in our world. There's bad things happening. And our focus gets so onto them that it can create this anxiety within us. Again, for some of us who it's more serious, like it's not just the average general anxiety that we sometimes feel. Anxiety is pointing to us that something's wrong and you know it. And you know these things are wrong, but you've got so much focus on them that it just drags you down. And as it drags you down, what happens when you're anxious? Maybe you withdraw, maybe you lash out. Maybe you just grow frustrated with everyone around you because they don't seem to understand that all these things are wrong. But Paul says, don't be anxious, which is, you know, so easy to say. But it's more like, when you're anxious, in every situation, give your prayers and your petitions, your concerns to God with thanksgiving, with gratitude present to God what's bothering you, but also with gratitude, express what he's done. It changes our focus. And he says, and then there's a peace that comes that doesn't make sense. And that peace is from God. When we can take that focus off of all that we see that causes that internal turmoil, and we put it back on God with gratitude, meaning we are presenting back to God saying, hey, I saw you do this in my life. You know, I saw how something good happened. I saw how someone's life was changed recently, or this event occurred, and it was good. So we're grateful for it. When we take those things that worry us, we say, God, I'm worried about all these things, but I see what you're doing, and I'm thankful. It changes that focus again off of those things that are driving us crazy inside. And it puts it back on God. And when our focus goes back on God, our thinking changes. And there's a peace that doesn't make sense that can occur. And this is what I really want to focus on, this section here. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the Lord and the God of peace will be with you. Paul's final couplet there is to focus on the good. Whatever is, Whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, admirable. Shift our focus from all the things that are negative and put them onto the good that is present in our world. Change our thinking by what we focus on. Paul is saying this is the way forward. This is the way forward as you deal with quarrels with On the outside, as you try to figure out how do we stop fighting with each other, is to move the focus off of that thing that I think is so important and put it back on God. And how do we deal with that inner turmoil that is driving us right now sometimes? And we're making decisions based on that anxiety, and sometimes those decisions have repercussions we don't even anticipate. And as we base it on that, how do we change that? Well, we shift the focus again and put it back on God. And with gratitude, Tell them what's bothering us. For Paul, it's when you shift the focus onto God, you start thinking about the good. And the way you think changes your life. He says, put into practice what you've seen me do. Paul, writing from prison, again, it's not the worst situation, but he's writing from prison. He's saying, shift your focus, think about the good, And your life can change. He is modeling for them the exact thing he's telling them to do. Because what you focus on becomes what you think. And it's going to shape how you act. So if you are constantly focusing on the negative, guess what? There's a 99.9% chance you will be acting in a negative way. And it might not be obvious. You might do lots of great things, but there'll be snide comments that you make on occasion. Or there'll be things that maybe you just think in your head. And you pretend like it's not there. If your focus is on all of the negative. All of the opposite. All that is false. All that is ugly. All that is deceptive. All that is harsh. All that is mean. All that is cruel. That is what will come out of you. The same way that what we eat affects our physical body, if we just eat McDonald's because it's $7 for a meal and it's $7 for a salad, and you think, well, our bodies will be affected by it. And so you have to pay the price, and unfortunately, inflation sucks. If all we consume, all we focus on is negative, what will come out is negative. And it will distance us More and more from Jesus. What Paul is saying is not what some of us have heard in philosophy, philosophical ideas in today's world. He is not saying this is the power of positive thinking. You just need to think happy thoughts and you'll be happy. That's not what he's saying. He's also not saying what people like Oprah make popular, where you can think about it and manifest it in your life. So if you think about a career change or you think about a spouse or you think about a new car, you can bring it into being. That is not what Paul's saying. Those things are not scriptural. Those things are the opposite of what scripture is teaching. What Paul is saying is look for the good that's already there. Look for what's true that already is in your world. Look for all the things that are not the opposite of that. Look for what's noble. Look for what's true. Look for the kindness. Look for the lovely things. And focus on those. Shift your focus from the things that bring you down. So if all you do is watch the news, no matter which news station you have, you are going to get a completely biased opinion based on the one you watch. And you will develop thinking based on what you've brought into your life, that focus. And then you will act accordingly and probably be divisive with people who think different than you. If all of your focus is on things that are not good, true, lovely, admirable, kind, if all of your focus is on negativity and violence and anger, that becomes you. And then you Act it. You may not want it, but you will. That's just what happens. The same way if all you eat is Big Macs. You will not be healthy. So what do you do? What do you do if you cannot see those noble, lovely, true things in your world? Because that's what Paul is saying. He's not saying, think it into being. He's saying, see what God's already done. This is the gratitude piece. That the prayers and petitions that we give for the things that cause us anxiety, we express gratitude for what's good that we already see around us. So what do you do if you can't see the good? What if all you see is the negativity? What if all you see is what you see on the news or you read in the paper or you see posted on Twitter or your friend tells you or wherever you find yourself consuming? What if all you see is bad? You focus on Jesus. Because in Jesus it is the embodiment of what is, Paul is saying. Because in Jesus there is truth. He is the way, the truth, the life. In Jesus there is nobility. In Jesus it is what's right. He is the man of justice. He is pure, he's lovely, he's admirable. He is excellent and praiseworthy. When you can't see the good around you, when life is so difficult, shift your focus onto Jesus. He embodies all of this. And when we shift our focus onto Jesus, when we pray, when we reflect on Him, when we make that a priority, Our actions will follow. We will live more and more like Jesus. We will live with kindness and goodness, mercy and grace. With love. Real love. Not this love that says, I love you, but behind their back, that's not the way you're acting. True love that really embraces people where they are and trusts God with them. When you focus on Jesus, your thinking changes. So how do you focus on Jesus in a world that doesn't really look noble, beautiful, good? You start with praying. Spend time connecting with him in prayer. Prayer for each of us might look differently. For some of us, maybe we've had a longer journey with Jesus. We have some traditions we follow. So maybe we have some written prayers, and that's beautiful and good. Some of us like liturgy. I know I've used it a lot in my life, whereas you have written prayers, and you follow them, and it helps bring intimacy. For some of us, it's more conversational, where we can just talk with God, and that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Some of us are just starting on that journey, and we don't really know how to pray. And so when someone says, just have a conversation, you think, well, I don't like to talk to anybody, so why would I talk to God? Find what works for you. God wants to be in relationship with us. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died on a cross for you, to be in relationship with him, to be made new, to be made whole. Spend time connecting with him. So prayer for you might be you read the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, and you just go, God, I don't know any other words. Prayer for you might be, I have this list of things that are causing anxiety. And God, I want to bring them to you. And then I want to listen. Prayer for you might just be sitting quietly in a quiet pace where you can listen and say, God, I'd like to hear from you. And you wait. Whatever prayer looks like for you, pray. For Some of us, it might be like a mantra that we repeat. There's a a breathing prayer exercise that the the church used for, for centuries. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you breathe in at Lord Jesus Christ, you breathe out, have mercy on me, and breathe in again, a sinner. And so you have these routines and these practices. Whatever it does, do it. So pray. But then also ponder. Ponder the words of Scripture. Spend time reading whether you're joining us for the yearly Bible reading program, which is fantastic, you've been going through Exodus and you're wondering, why do I need to know how many cubits something is? Spend time in it. Ponder it. Meditate on these words. Because there's a reason it's there. The reason might be to say, yeah, it was important for them. Don't worry about it. But there's a reason there. So ponder it. Meditate on the words of Scripture. Personally, I prefer meditating on the words of the New Testament, particularly the Gospels, because I like to meditate on how Jesus acted with other people. And I also like to meditate on the book of Acts, of reading a section and imagining myself in there. What was it like to be in this early church movement? What was it like to be with the Apostle Paul going into an unknown area where nobody believed what he believed, and he would have to share his beliefs with them? Ponder the Scriptures. Spend time in them. You don't have to read through it systematically like we're doing with the Bible program. It might just be that you pick it up and you go, okay, I'm going to read a gospel. And however long it takes me, I'm going to read it. Maybe you read until something makes sense to you or something clicks and you go, I need to think about that more. It's one of my favorite ways to read the Bible. Read until you go, yeah, I want to, I want to stop there. The Psalms are great for that. doesn't matter how you ponder scripture, just ponder it. Spend time in it. As you've prayed to God, spend time in the words he has shared with us historically already. He has spoken and still speaks through the Bible. Read your Bible. And the third thing to do when you're trying to focus on Jesus is to practice it. Practice the good, the lovely, the noble, the true. If you can't see those things around you, embody it and live it for others. Volunteer somewhere, whether it's here on a Sunday morning here, at Lion Hearts, the stuff we do with food rescue. could be a shelter. It could be doing anything. You could do anything. A animal shelter you could do. Show good to the world around you. Put into practice the invitation that God has for us. Put into practice a life that looks like Jesus. If you read Scripture, it instructs you. It guides you. It points you in a direction. Put those things into practice. If you want to, and it's only if you want, if you want to live more like Jesus, you need to start thinking like Jesus. In order to start thinking like Jesus, you need to focus on what is good, what is lovely, what is admirable, what is true. And you need to stop Letting the ugly in. Stop giving attention to the ugly, the false, the deceitful, the violent, the angry. What you focus on will become how you think. And how you think will translate into your actions. That's just the way it works. And God invites us to be people. People who are renewed in his image. People as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, people who are his masterpiece, created for good works, long ago prepared for them. And we only discover it when we shift our focus from all the things that can cause us to fight, can bring us anxiety, and tear us away from God, and put it onto him. And I pray you focus on the good. You focus on Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you invite us into this relationship with you that is a relationship. It's not just uh, me or someone else who's just walking along living life, but it is something intimate, something real, something good. And with all relationships, it requires work. And God, I pray that we invest in that work in our lives. A work to shift our focus away from all the things that bring us down maybe we don't even realize. The things that cause quarreling, the things that cause anxiety, and instead we focus on you and we let our gentleness be evident to all. And we experience peace that only comes from you. Holy Spirit, I pray that we daily, not just today, but daily, every day, can learn to shift our focus on the good that is around us, and when we can't see it, to shift it on you, Jesus, so that we can live lives that reflect who you are to the world around us and offer hope where there sometimes seems hopelessness. Offer truth when it seems like everybody's lying. And offer love when all there seems to be is disagreement and fighting. Help us to experience and express your grace in Jesus. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.